0: I've been trying to find a metaphor, a, a word picture, to describe 2020. I mean, after all, is this the 2020 any of you expected on January 1? I mean, I, I, I know churches that actually had a 2020 vision plan, okay? Uh, we're going to see things more clearly in 2020 um, and all of that kind of stuff. And boy, that has not happened, huh? And, and, and I, I have some friends in Florida, one of them, a, a young lady, I, I married her to her husband years ago when I pastored there, and, and um, she and her husband have a few kids, and, and 2020 so far in addition to COVID-19 and an economic downturn and a, a job change for her husband and herself, her, she had brain cancer that came back, and, and then this week she posted on uh, Instagram, um, you know it's 2020. When they tell you a hurricane's headed to your house, and you go, "Eh, <laughs> what else?" You know. And as I've tried to figure out exactly what uh, what was going on and how to get a word picture for it, my mind remembered uh, uh, an evening in my family that I think I think really kind of sums up 2020. All right. Um, it, it, my family, as I've told some of you before, tremendous, wonderful people. I love them all dearly. But, but if your last name is Robinson you tend to be bullheaded, okay? You, you just tend to be stubborn, strong-willed. It just kind of, if your last name's Robinson, it just comes with, and, and people who marry us and stay married to us are saints, okay? I mean, they they literally have golden crowns in heaven for staying married to people from my family, and, uh, and me uh, as well. Uh, and so, if you can imagine a gathering of people like that, my family, Uh, on a Thanksgiving. Uh, And it's also a family where we think we can accomplish anything. I mean, we really think we know what we're doing. And my father, who was a preacher, uh, had always fancied himself a mechanic. And so, like, we we never paid money for anybody to change oil. It was just too much, you know, too much money. Dad changed the oil. Teach us to change the oil. Uh, in our cars, um, we didn't pay anybody to change the spark plugs and tune up our car because, well, Dad could do that, and and he actually did have a pretty good gift with with some of that. And and so on this particular night, when when for some reason all of my family had gathered in Mississippi, and they didn't live in Mississippi, they had come from around the country to to my home for the Thanksgiving celebration that year. I'm still not sure why it was that year. It was while I was in college. I just remember being home and. And getting ready, and we're all sitting around talking, you know, sharing life stories, and and we're getting. I'm I'm like, no, tomorrow I got to go back to college. I got to drive back up to Indiana, and my father says, well, hey, you know, I really need to change the spark plugs in your car. Now you have to understand, my car is a 1972 Vega. All right? I don't know if you remember those. Some of you are nodding your head. Some of you are like been born way since then. Let me explain. Uh, the, the Vega was the first automobile produced by General Motors that had an aluminum block. Uh, what that meant was that after you had the car for a little while, you would pull up to a gas station and say, check the gas and fill it with oil. All right? I mean, it was always burning oil, and my and, and it had a little rubber stopper where that to you poured the oil in where in the crankcase instead of it was like a, something you twisted. It, it just was a little rubber stopper, and you pulled it out. And I think it was for convenience, just to get the oil in faster. All right, and so we we I had that car, and my father said it's kind of been running, and it was four cylinders, by the way. Okay, so simplest motor out there, just four four cylinders. And my dad said, you know what? I'll tune it up, and all of my like my uncles and my cousins, right? They're all like, yeah. And so it's kind of that southern thing where if you take a pickup truck and raise the hood, men will gather. All right, they 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 just will gather around and you know somebody everybody's got an opinion about this and that and so all my cousins are standing around and my uncle and my uncle Charles was kind of the patriarch of the family even though he was only like five foot six um he he was like the guy in charge uncle Charles and um and, and so he's there and and they're all telling my dad Who's going to tune up my car? How to do it? And they're laughing and joking, and and my and my dad says, "Hey, Carrie, get in, and start the car." So I get in and I crank the car, and when I crank the car, it it something's wrong. It's not starting right. It doesn't just whir into. And it's kind of uh, 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 and, and 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 you just look on my dad's so face like, "What have I done wrong?" And and in the process, in the process. Uh, Of me trying to start the car The pressure built up And that rubber stopper I told you about That's why I told you about it It shot out Boom and I mean, like all, I'm, my Uncle Charles, it's a good thing he's only 5'6", because it went at like five foot ten. okay, just like right over his head. And the look on his face was classic. The only thing better was the look on my father's face, all right? And, and they were all sitting, all of my cousins, and they're all just like, and laughing at my dad, and, 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 all, and my, one of them goes, Forrest, it's four wires. It's only four wires, and you crossed four, one. How did you do that with just four wires? It's not, how would you, met? and so they're all over him. And that's my description of 2020, all right? 2020 is a year where the wires got crossed. It's a year where the pressure's built up. It's a year where things are shooting past your head, and you're looking at it, and you don't know whether to laugh or cry or try to figure out what in the world is going on. And so, as as I'm thinking about about where we're living and what we're living in, it, it suddenly dawned on me, you know what? None of this surprised God. Not one bit of it. The COVID-19, that isn't surprising. The racial injustice riots, that isn't surprising. The the, the need to to change uh, systemic racism in our country, he's known that for a long time. The whole whole turmoil, when do we start school? Do we start school now? Do we start school later? Do we do virtual? Do we do a hybrid? Do we do in person? Uh, You know, none of this has surprised God. Not one bit of it. And as I got to thinking about that, I remembered, you know what? When Jesus came into the world, he came into a world that was in turmoil. He came into a world that was in conflict. And and when he came into that world, there were Jewish people fighting against Romans. There were Romans who were trying to conquer the world. There were people who were all about the religious system. There were people who were all about the economic system. The politics was horrible. It was just like today. The first century, the 21st century, 2,000 years, and humanity hasn't really figured it out. We're still struggling with it. And this year, it's just been so hyped up, everything on top of each other. And then you add the personal stuff that we all bring to the table. And, and I thought, God, what, what we really need is a recalibration. What we really need is, is the ability to, to, to do better than my father did. To be able to 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 look at our lives and to get the wire straight. <laughs> to be able to look at our lives and to be able to reset and 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 come back to the foundational stuff. And and so we're gonna we're gonna spend the next few weeks. We're gonna spend August and September, because I, I think it's gonna take us that long. Looking into God's word, into the stories of the church. I, I know we just we've been talking all summer about the first four chapters of the book of Acts, and your story, my story, our stories, the stories of God's people. But but, but what I know is those stories that started there led to a place kind of like 2020, a place where everything was about to shift, and the people who thought they knew what it was about didn't know what it was about, and the people who didn't know what it was about understood they didn't know what it was about, and nobody knew what was going on, and everybody was trying to figure it out, and God had a plan. And what he did was he began to take their plans and say, hey, put this over here. He he began to take their hurt and say, hey, here, let me heal this. He began to take their brokenness and say, hey, look, let me put this back together. And what God began to do, he he did in the lives of the people who would follow him. And, And so Luke, the physician who traveled with Paul, who's writing not only the Gospel of Luke, but this book called the book of Acts of the Apostles. When he's writing it to this man named Theophilus that he's, he's trying to tell him about who, who the people of God are and who Jesus is, when, when, when Luke began to write it, after he talks about these stories and how the church was being birthed in, in Jerusalem after Jesus had spent the time with the disciples, now, now he begins to say, you know what? And there was this moment we talked a little bit about it last week. That this moment where where everything was shaken and and the place the place where they were praying, they asked for boldness and courage, and God gave it to them. And and then and then God recalibrated their worldview. Listen, I'll read it for you from Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed. Now, I want to stop. Remember, we've we've already discovered this summer that by this time, that's like 10,000 people. So I want you to get in your mind. 10,000 people is what we're talking about here. Now, the full number of those who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, okay, 10,000 people in Jerusalem at that time. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Wait, wait, Wait a minute. 10,000 people are all of one heart and soul. We, we can't get 10 people to agree on anything. I mean, if you don't believe me, just tweet something, okay? And, and, and what, what Luke says is that the full number, 10,000, who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, when I read that story, uh, the first thing that, that grabs my attention is this concept that, that all of these people were of one heart and one soul. The one one. Unified group of ten thousand people. I've never seen that in my life. And when Luke writes that, you, you wonder: is he just kind of like making a make, making a metaphor, making you know an image? Well, you know, kind of being nice when everybody was kind of all together. No, no, they were all of one heart. In fact, this phrase that he uses is a, is a phrase that that had been used by the Jewish people and the writers in the Old Testament many times. In Second Chronicles, you'll find it, it, it uh, when the the children of Israel are coming back in after they've been after they've been dispersed, and there's been a, a different king who comes in, and now they're back together in Jerusalem, and God has called them together, and, and is calling them to. It says, and they were of one heart and one mind. Several different times, every, almost every time that 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 Israel faced turmoil and trial, and and hurt and conflict there would be a time after it or in the midst of it where God would call them together and say, hey, look, I want you to come, I want you to come here and gather together. And, and God, would, God would make them of one heart and one mind. And then, and then Ezekiel, when he's prophesying about when the Messiah is going to come, he says, when the Messiah comes… That's God's way of saying, and the people will be of one heart and one soul. What Luke is doing for the people who read it the first time, for Theophilus, for others, he's writing to them and he's saying to them, listen, what, what I want you to know is that this is not human. You can't get 10,000 people together and get them to all agree on anything. In fact, when I came as pastor here, one of the, the East Side Church is 69 years old. Um, actually, this month, 69 years old. And, um, and 69 years ago, there were actually some people, when I came as pastor 24 years ago, there were some people who were here at that time who had been a part of the founding of this church. In fact, we still have a few people who were children in the church when it was, when it was founded. But one of those longtime members came to me shortly after I became pastor. Her name was Mabel. Um, and Mabel, Mabel Ferris was a wonderful, wonderful lady owned a flower shop down here. And uh, and she came to me and she said, I, I, Pastor Robinson, I just want to let you know something. I've been going to East Side for a long time, and we have what we call the East Side Five. I said, the East Side Five is that like a quartet with plus one? Is that you know a women's group? she goes, no, no. Every time we vote, there are five no votes. She said, in fact, I just want to let you know that in all the years I've been here, there's never been a unanimous vote in the history of the church. And just about the time I figure out who the five no votes are, one of them dies. And then we have another vote, and there's five new votes. And I'm always trying to figure out who those five are. And every time I think I got those five figured out, they're not there anymore. And, 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 and so I just want you to know, it, it's very uncommon to think about even a church our size, but to think of 10,000 people with one heart and one mind. You see, that doesn't happen from humans. Humans. That, that, that only happens, that only happens when God does it. And that's why Luke says this, that in response to their prayers for courage to share the gospel, God shook the place where they were praying, and then God made them of one accord. You see, if you want God to recalibrate your life, then what you've got to understand is He's going to start by recalibrating your heart. He's going to, he's going to start by, by shaking you inside by recalibrating what you look at, who you are, how you feel, he's going to start inside you. He's not going to start with you getting some buddies together, some sisters together and saying, hey, here, here's what we're going to do. No, 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 no. no. God, God recalibrates life by recalibrating hearts. And for the next few weeks, we're going, to, we're going to look at how he does that, what happens in that. And now we're going to look at this story of what it means for God to, to start with our heart. And to change us. That's why Luke starts, now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. He didn't say they all agreed. He said they all believed. And when they believed and they trusted, then God, God is the one who put them together, who who called their heart into a new place. What would it look like? What would it look like in 2020? If in the midst of all the chaos in our culture, of all of all the turmoil that we're walking through, if in the midst of it, we as the people of God said to God, God, here's my heart. Lord, here, take me right where I am and change me and make me into who you want me to be, into the woman you want me to be, the man you want me to be. And teach me what it means to live in harmony with you And therefore, through your spirit to live in harmony with others. You see, that's the problem with a lot of us. We're trying to make unity happen. I need to tell you something. If you believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has already created unity. Jesus Christ is the one who makes unity. Jesus Christ is the one who makes the change in our life. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is no dissonance between the three of them. They are together in a Trinitarian relationship that models for us what it means for the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. We don't have to create unity. We just have to experience unity. It's already, already designed for us by Jesus and so recalibrating the church, recalibrating our individual lives, recalibrating our culture. It doesn't start with, a, with a, a group of people getting together and coming up with documents. No, 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 no. It starts with a group of people hitting their knees and saying to God, "Hey God, look, I want you to be in charge of me." One old preacher I used to hear said it a lot like this, "You want revival in your church? Draw a circle. Stand in the circle." And say, God, start revival inside this circle. You you want to find your way through 2020? Quit, Quit trying to tell everybody else what to do. And ask God what He wants you to do. Ask Him what He wants to do in your life. Because here's what he does. He recalibrates life by recalibrating hearts. And when he recalibrates hearts, this little story right here that I just read shows us how he does it. Because when he starts recalibrating hearts, he teaches us to see beyond ourselves. When, when, when God recalibrates our heart, he, he teaches us to look beyond who we are. Did you hear the way Luke said it? Said every, all the believers were of. They were, they, they were of one heart and one soul. And no one thought that anything they had. Well, look, listen to it. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them. Now, they did belong to them. But no one said that those things belonged to them. That they were their own. But they had everything in common. Now, I, I told you a few weeks ago that, that that's not an endorsement of communism. Because communism comes from an outside source imposing upon us what we're supposed to do and it doesn't say that the whole community owned everything what it what it says is that the people who realized what they had realized they only had it by the grace of God and so they took what they had because God taught them to see beyond themselves so whether you have a little or whether you have a lot it's not yours but it is yours to voluntarily give It's not there just for you. Let let, let me, let me go. Okay. So, in my house, in my house, my wife is the one during the COVID thing. We've had different responsibilities we've taken in order for me to try to stay as healthy as I could. Uh, in order to, to continue to pastor and continue to lead in this environment. We've, we've assigned each other places where we could go. And, and so Becky, Becky took the risk of going to the grocery store, okay? Uh, I, had, I had the risk of going to the pharmacy. We figured the pharmacy had more stuff to help me, okay, if I got in trouble, all right? And, and so she had the risk of going to the grocery store. So she would do the grocery shopping. And, and we got into something, and, and they, they didn't have the paper towels, they, they were out of, maybe you've run, they had paper towel shortages, okay? I don't know why, but they, th- there were no paper towels. And so we were running low on paper towels. And I she made that, she said, I went to the grocery store and there were no paper towels. And so the next day or two, I'm, I'm out and I'm going not to the grocery store, but to a, a pharmacy, okay? They sell paper towels at those stores. Did you know that? And, 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 and so I, I, I'm in there to do what I'm supposed to do, and I see, I see five, five big th- things of paper towels, okay? And there was a sign up there, okay, um, but it didn't say any limit, okay? And I thought to myself, we need paper towels. They don't have any at the grocery store. I'm in a place where they've got, I'm going to, and I start, I, I'm, I'm reaching, I'm taking all five. I had a big basket. I'm like, here we go, all five of them. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit said, Carrie, do you really need five bags of paper towels? Uh, maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't talk to you like that, but he does to me, all right? And, I, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, uh, probably not. And so I, 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 I kind of put four of them back. Just took the one. So any of you who went to the Walgreens pharmacy down here and got paper towels and they only had four, thank me. All right. You, you I mean, they were there because I left them for you. All right. Just let you know. All right? And 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 yet the worst part was I got home. Yeah, they were the wrong paper towels. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I tell you that. It's somewhat in jest, but somewhat to say to you, how are we going to get through 2020 when the wires are crossed and the pressure's building and things are flying through the air like it did with a 1972 Vega so many years ago? When we allow God to recalibrate our life by recalibrating our hearts and teaching us to see beyond ourselves, teaching us to see beyond what we need to be able to see what other people need that we might have. See, I I really want to encourage you to join me over the next few weeks as we start looking at how we can take what we've got, how we can be a part of the great recalibration, how we as the people of God can bring to this world of chaos and confusion and turmoil and, and tribulation a sense of a sense of God's presence, a sense of God's heart, a sense of Jesus. Because you see, that's why this body of believers could be of one heart and soul, and that's why this body of believers could learn to see beyond themselves. Because see, when, when God recalibrates our hearts, it's not only that we see beyond ourselves, but, but it's also that, that we center ourselves on Jesus. And when we center ourselves on Jesus, then, then He begins to demonstrate His grace through us, See, we we want to talk all the time in the church in the last 15, 20, 25 years about the grace that's to us, the grace that Jesus gives to us to redeem us, forgive us, and change us. Yeah, that's true, but God also gives, Jesus also gives grace through us grace through us, when we center on Jesus, then suddenly our heart is recalibrated. Our world is changed. Our mindset is widened. We are able to look. And now suddenly, instead of just being receivers and consumers of grace, we become agents of grace. We become the means through which grace is is demonstrated. I don't know who got those other four rolls of paper towels, but they got them because of grace. Because my human tendency was to take what I got, what I see, it's mine, hold it. In the first century, what happened that Luke is telling us about is that the people of God were so committed to Jesus being the center of their life that they let him recalibrate their worldview, and they let him recalibrate the way they lived. There are people around you in your street, at your job, in your school, whether you're virtually in school or in person in school, wherever you are, there are people around you who need to know that Jesus Christ can change their heart. But they'll never believe it if your heart's as hard as theirs. They'll never believe it if if, if you act the same way they act. They'll never believe that that, that they can change at all if you continue to be just like them. But if you become a person who is marked by grace and love and mercy and the resurrection of Jesus. I I, I love that. Look at the the way Luke says it. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony. See, he doesn't say they were preaching big sermons like Peter did. No. He says by power, they were telling their testimony. They're testimony to what? To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. What what, what grace does is, is grace works through us once it's been given to us, and that's how our hearts get recalibrated. That's how the world gets recalibrated. That's how the church can make a difference In the midst of a crazy crazy world it's not with our petitions it's not with with our pronouncements it's with the grace and love and mercy of Jesus because you see when when God recalibrates our hearts so that we see beyond ourselves and and so that we become members, participants, agents of that grace, and it's demonstrated through us. Then then he recalibrates us so that our actions actually reflect the changes that he's made in us. Our actions actually reflect the change that he's made in us. So that when people see us, they, they see him But more than that, when they experience us, they experience Him. When they they encounter our life, they encounter His life. Some of you are looking at me going, Pastor, I'm not that good. Yeah, I know. I know. None of us are. That's why we started with the whole thing. That this statement about people being in one heart and one soul isn't because the human beings created it and grace being demonstrated to the world will never happen because you decide to be graceful. It only happens when God takes your heart because you give it to Him and you let Him change you. See, that's why on the night before He died, J- Jesus said to the disciples, listen, I want you to see something differently tonight. I, I want you to see that that I came in order for you to live. And so he took what they had known their whole life, the Passover meal. He took the, the bread unleavened for the trip out into the desert by their ancestors. And he took the cup, a symbol of the blood that had marked the doorpost for the Passover angel to skip them. And he said, every time you take this, remember me. And so if you're at home right now, I want to invite you to take the bread that you've prepared or whatever you have there. If you're here with us, some of you have already begun to reach for the bread and the cup that's underneath your chair. And I want to invite you to take that bread and remember with me for just a moment how much Jesus loves you, what he's given to you. The fact that this simple piece of bread lets us know that the person who spoke the entire universe into being decided to be born as a baby, to live as a man, and to die on a cross for us. Take and eat. And as you look at the cup you hold in your hand, I want you to remember that Jesus said to his disciples this cup is a symbol of the fact that I'm not just going to die, I'm going to die with a purpose, I'm going to be the sacrificial lamb. To cover your sins. And though your sins be as scarlet. The application of my blood. Will wash them whiter than snow. And so this morning. As we invite God to recalibrate our hearts. So that he can recalibrate our lives. And the entire world. Can change. I invite you to remember the grace that was poured out on a cross through the blood of Jesus Christ for you. Take and drink. Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a god who calls us to one heart and one soul that you are a god who can take the craziness and the confusion and the conflict of the world we're living in and you can you can bring harmony and peace and strength in the midst of the storm in the midst of the trial in the midst of the heartache, that you are the one who promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. So for my friends gathered in this room and my friends gathered online, and for those who watch later in the week on demand, right now, I'm asking you to change our hearts, to recalibrate our lives. To open our our minds and our hearts to what you want to do in us. So that like Barnabas, Joe from Cyprus, you, you could make us into brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of encouragement. For there is a world longing for you right now help us oh god please help us to be people who show you to the world for it's in the strong name of jesus christ that we pray